I am so excited about our sermon today. You can turn to Psalm chapter 5. Uh, we'll get there in just a few minutes. And so as we go through this series, I want to teach, you know, what the Bible says and all those kinds of things. But I, and I really want to be super helpful and practical with how to pray, not just you know, what prayer is, but what does it look like on Monday morning? So, you know, and, and I've shared something like this in the past, but in talking about prayer, I used to always just end up feeling guilty. You know, you hear these like missionaries who pray from 2 to 4 a.m. every day, you know, they get up before, you know. And, uh, and it, there's even this really famous kind of old evangelist named Leonard Ravenhill who once said, ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime. It's like, whoa, Leonard. I'm trying to pass for a church. I hadn't even seen the Stranger Things finale yet, bro. Like, come on, like, give me a break here, right? But the reality is, and so that's not God's heart for us, okay. But the reality is getting into the habit of prayer tends to be something we do kind of put off, right? Like, I'll get into it later. Later on, I'll, I'll grow into it or whatever. And so, uh, so we lived here, and then we moved away to Asheville, North Carolina for like four and a half years, okay? And do you know what Asheville is really famous for? Great. Um, there's beautiful mountains there. The Blue Ridge Mountains are unbelievable. Great hikes, you know, that they're known for that. The weather's amazing. Actually looked it up. Today, the high is 76 in Asheville, North Carolina. Amen. It won't be 76 at 10 p.m. here tonight. Anyway, so, but what's, what Asheville is most famous for is the Biltmore House. Okay, I brought a picture of my family in front of it. So maybe you've seen that. And there's, it's like in Richie Rich and different things. All right, so it's, it's super famous. So about 140 years ago, 150 years ago, uh, George Vanderbilt took his granddaddy's money and built this unbelievable estate, okay? And so people fly from all over the world to come and see this estate, right? And so, but I didn't even go inside of this thing for four years of living there. I didn't go until my last Christmas there and almost, because of the pandemic, I almost missed it altogether because I'm like, I can always go, right? And I can go whenever I live here, Eh, I'll go next year, next month, whatever. It doesn't, I'll go sometime. We went to the estate all the time to eat or whatever, but I, I'll go into the house one day. Finally, I did, thankfully, our last Christmas there. But those tourists, man, they show up, they get to the airport, they sprint to the Biltmore house, they go downtown to get something cool to eat, they do a hike. They do more in four days than I did in four years because they knew they had to get after it if they're gonna, you know, see Asheville, right? And so we're like, man, I, you know, I'll get into prayer when the work slows down. Ah, uh, you know, once my kid goes off, yeah, I'll, I'll start into prayer when things are a little bit different. Or, you know, once school starts, I'll get into prayer. Once this changes, once that. Next year, that's my New Year's resolution, Pat. I'm going to call it right now. Next year, I'm going to start praying. You know, but, and since we, you know, we can do it any old time, I think we kind of put off this habit of prayer instead of getting after it like those tourists did. But you can't start without starting. I'm going to get deep today. Hello. You can't start without starting. So my goal in this series really never is to heap guilt on you, to make you feel bad so you change, right? But it's to invite you into a closer relationship with the Father, which is God's invitation for you every day. The byline of one of my favorite books on prayer is Finding the Heart's True Home. Prayer is finding the heart's true home. And I want to shift your thinking in that way today. So people will say, you know, prayer changes things. And that's true. Prayer does change things, but prayer also changes us, right? But by us accepting God's invitation into his presence and into his heart, so he's inviting you to come home today into prayer. Where you belong, his arms are stretched out open wide to receive you in prayer today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. For too long, we've been in a foreign land, man, a land of noise and hurry and crowds, a land of fear and frustration, 
a land of push and shove, and God is inviting us home today to a land of joy and peace, to a land of acceptance and affirmation and fellowship and friendship and openness. He's inviting you into that kind of life today with him. So to pray is to change. And this is really grace. How good is God to provide not just a promise but a path? a path toward him that we can commune with him and talk to him every single day. And then by doing that, our lives begin to produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, what otherwise known as the fruit of the Spirit. So by walking with God, your life naturally bears that really good fruit that we all want. So as we enter into a discussion on the practice of daily prayer, that's the picture of God that the Bible gives. Okay, the, the Bible doesn't give the picture of a God, this distant God who just wants you to pray five times a day and just check it off a list. Okay, the Bible gives a picture of a God who's, who's sitting at his table and ready for a chat with you. Okay, so again, I mentioned this earlier, but we sort of hide from prayer. And I was thinking this week, why? You know, why do we put it off? Like, you know, we, we believe it's good. We believe it's something we should do. I believe all of us even think it's something that we want to do deep down. But like there's, it's like there's this huge chasm between us and over there where we pray all the time, right? And so what is holding us back? That's what I've been thinking through. Of course there's busyness, right? I mean, work and family commitments and all that kind of stuff. Although, you know, that busyness never keeps me from eating and sleeping, you know. I, I may miss a day or three praying, but I never miss a Cowboys game. I'm just talking about me. I know I'm not talking about y'all. Okay. A.W. Tozer said, modern civilization is so complex as to make the devotional life all but impossible. And he's right. Now, and he even wrote that before social media and even before the internet, before streaming movies and all these things. He's exactly right. So that's part of the mix, mix, right, that we're too busy, we need to delete some apps. And that, that's another talk, though, okay. I think in my 20 years in pastoring, I think there's something deeper in us why we put off prayer. Okay, more profound, keeping us from being alone with God. I think the biggest misunderstanding about prayer, so really the, mis, the biggest misunderstanding about God in this room today is that we have to have everything just right to approach God in prayer. I gotta know a little bit more about the Bible. I gotta get a little bit more distance between me and that sin. I gotta get a little bit more you know, time between me and my past, these kinds of things. You know, I, I think that is keeping so many of us from practicing the presence of God. So an Anglican priest about 100 years ago said, uh, pray as you can, not as you can't. That makes sense. You know, uh, uh, when you look up directions on maps, we used to call it GPS. Anybody old enough to still say GPS? So when you open up maps and you're trying to find where to go, what does it ask you? To choose a starting point. Well, where else am I gonna start? So same thing in prayer. I would love to start where he is. I'd love to start where I know I'm going to be in three years, but I can't start anywhere than the starting than right here. When you start, all you can start from the only place you can start from is where you are right now. Okay, so uh, you know what was the quote again? Pray as you can, not as you can't. So you know, I used to think I need to get all of my motives and all that kind of straightened out and sorted out before I could really pray. And honestly. I didn't want to be a hypocrite before God, you know? Like, I, I know that I'm a rotten sinner. I'm reminded of that very often, okay, by my own self, okay? I, I know I'm a rotten sinner. I know he's righteous and holy, and I don't want to, like, be disrespectful or hypocritical in front of him. I thought that for so long. But here's the reality. We all come to God in prayer with a tangled mix of motives, right? Kind and moody, 
okay? Loving and generous and selfish and all of these things kind of wrapped into one. And this side of eternity will never completely unravel that ball of yarn, all right? But what I've come to understand is that God is big enough and loving enough and generous enough to receive me in all of that messy mixture, okay? So we don't have to be pure or filled with faith or anything to approach God in prayer. We just gotta be us, that's it. And that's what grace means. Not that we're, you know, we're not just saved by grace. We live by grace. We pray by grace. Grace covers everything. So, you know, my kids, they come to me. I'm not going to out them here. You know, y'all know them. Uh, But they come to me with some pretty crazy requests. And a lot of times they'll come to me with like the most selfish request. And a lot of times they'll even come to me asking for something and I know what's really in their heart. They're like, hey, would you get my brother a new Nintendo Switch? You're like, bro, you just want a new. Okay. So... But I would be more, I would be sadder if they never came to me as opposed to them coming to me with bad requests. What would really grieve my heart as a father is if they never came to me and approached me and us talk. And that's God's heart for you. Let's look at uh, Psalm 5. David coming to God, mixed motives and all, like he wants us to come to him. Let's read Psalm 5 together. To the choir master for the flutes. Shout out to the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. This is David praying. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king, my God, for to you I'm praying. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Every morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. You, I direct my prayer to you and I watch. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, and only through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your presence. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, help me out, for there is no truth in their mouth. He's got some, some beef with some people he's about to start telling the Lord about. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Verse 11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them Ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. And those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him and your favor is with a shield. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I want to read that psalm once more in another version called The Message. Now, I love this version. This this version is more than just a translation. It's also kind of commentary. So the guy who worked on this translation, he he gave us translation from the original text, but then he, he sprinkled in a lot of sauce, okay, commentary or comments. So what I'm about to read, if you ever read the message, it's not just a translation, it's also commentary mixed in, which is great. Okay, so, th- this, so as we read it in this version, I want you to really, as we get our minds around the text, notice David's approach in his daily prayer to God, okay? This, as we read it again, as we saturate our minds in the text, notice David's approach. He says, listen, God, God, please pay attention. Can you make sense of these ramblings that I'm, I'm going on, all of my groans and my cries? King God, I need your help. You ever prayed that? David says, every morning, you're gonna hear me at it again. God, every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. Verse six, God, I know 
that you don't socialize with that guy wicked or invite evil over as your house guest or Mr. Hot Air Boaster collapses in front of you. You shake your head over mischief maker. God destroys lie speaker, bloodthirsty, and truth bender disgusts you. We don't know if he's talking about certain types of people or, or a certain guy. We don't know. Verse seven, and here I am, God, your invited guest. It's incredible. I enter your house just as I am, laid out before you, waiting for directions to get me safely across enemy lines. Every word that those people speak is a landmine. Could you say that about a boss or a coworker? Every word they speak is a landmine. Their lungs breathe out poison gas. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Pile on the guilt, God. So again, instead of, God, instead of David going to these guys and going, you're, out of your mouth is nothing but graves. And you're this and you're that. He goes to God and he gives God his burdens. You see that? He directs his fear and anguish and all of this to God in prayer every morning. Uh, verse 11, God, you'll welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. Oh, yeah, that's who you are. So as he's pouring all this out, he's like, oh, yeah, you're, you got my back. You're going to cover me. Let the party last all night. We finna turn up. Stand guard over your, our celebration as you deliver. I'm not going to create deliverance in my life. You are. You're famous, God, for welcoming God seekers for decking us out in delight. So David approaches God in prayer in the morning. And we're going to make some observations about the text, of course, throughout our, the rest of our time together. But, but that's the big kind of takeaway, that David directed his prayer to God in the morning. And he had this daily practice of this. Not these clean kind of manicured prayers, you know, where it's like perfect and neat and you would want someone to read your prayer. That's not what David prays. Because that's not what really what prayer is. Right? Prayer is a relationship, okay? So David gets before God in the presence of God every single morning, day after day after day after day, and he pours his heart and emotions out to God So in the morning. So David's talking to God about what he's facing, right? You see that? He's acknowledging and being reminded of who God is. You see that in the text. And it's clear, again, that David does this every single morning, time with God in prayer. You know, our inner identity is deeply tied to our habits, okay? Um, James Clear wrote this spectacular book, Atomic Habits. I hope you've, it's not a Christian book, but I hope you've read it. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's an instant classic. I think it'll be around for a long, long time. And in the book, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Quite literally, you become your habits. So, which is a new way of saying what the Bible's taught us long ago and what David is embodying here in Psalm chapter five, that habits are formative, Right, that even more critical, I think, than parsing out every single thing that David prays here, it's seeing in, in, in Psalms chapter five, us understanding the importance of that daily practice of walking with God, daily prayer with God. So today, I wanna invite you to add a, a keystone habit into your life. So a keystone habit is one that supports a lot of other good ideas, okay? So not just a habit, but a keystone habit. So a keystone habit is something that from it, a lot of other good habits naturally come about. So exercise is a classic example. So all these studies show we can save from our own personal lives. If somebody starts exercising, all other good things, start, a lot of good, good things start happening as well. So they start exercising and all of a sudden they start eating better, they sleep better, they smoke less. All these things happen just from this one keystone habit. Does that make sense? And so, for, so in our family, a keystone habit is dinner together, okay? And it can seem like a really small thing until you know, you're trying to make a two 
siblings listen to the other sibling tell about their day. As you're cleaning up spaghetti sauce, I mean, it's not always super easy, all right, but it's a keystone habit for us that I know provides all, a lot of other good habits in our household, the way that we, can, we all kind of get along, and, and there's even studies that bear out that, you know, kids have, like, better grades. I mean, you know, we're not trying to produce road scholars, but, like, the one I read that a, a common link among road scholars is dinner together at home. Isn't that crazy? So a lot of good things happen in a child's life as you have dinner together. And so the Barner Group did this big study on Christian households and found that families who were, quote, spiritually vibrant shared one thing in common. They have loud tables. Okay, and so, again... Uh, from judging from my experience in education, I don't know that Rhodes Scholars are coming out of the Kendrick household, public school in Mississippi. Hello. All right. But this simple habit is formative, right? And it opens the door to a lot of other good habits and outcomes. So the keystone habit that I want to really challenge you on today, invite you into today, is daily prayer in the morning. And we're going to talk about it really practically. But before I do that, I want to add two quick asterisks. Not asterisks. Y'all got to stop saying it like that. Okay. Asterisks. Okay. So we all have different schedules, right? We all have different kind of lives and, and different responsibilities. And so I'm going to talk about daily prayer in the morning. But that may not work for you. Like you, you may go, hey, I've got an elderly parent in my house that I take care of. Morning doesn't work. Great. That's, that's fantastic. So every time I say morning, you search and replace that word with afternoon or evening. And you, you take into account what all we're talking about today. Or maybe you're like, hey, I work the night shift. I can't do morning. Great. Okay, we'll just take the core teaching of what we're talking about today and implement it the truths and practices into your life. So again, the keystone habit, the action that I'm encouraging you to start and be very consistent in is prayer every single morning. Make it a non-negotiable thing that you do, okay? And then when you miss a day, just forgive yourself and, and start again the next day. It's totally fine, okay? So every morning, pray something like what David prayed in Psalm 5 in, in verse 2. Tell God that he's your king. He's your God. Remind yourself like David did in verse 7. This is all out of God's abundance. God, everything I have, God, thank you uh, for your steadfast love. Tell God like David did in verse 9 that you're not sure if you can stand what Becky with the good hair is going to say in the meeting today. I, I don't know that I could even take another second with her at work, okay? You can tell God about all that, all right? Pray like uh, he did in verse 11, that you're really needing to find refuge in him today, that you don't know how today's going to happen without him. And you know what's happening in your life, and you just share that with God every morning in the process of just sharing your heart with the Father, asking him for things, telling him who he is, reminding yourself who he is. You can pray the Lord's Prayer, which is, which is a form. Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer so that we could show, we could have that form that we could follow. So, see, David is just kind of talking to God, right? So my challenge is five minutes of prayer, just you and God every morning. Go to a place where you're alone, okay, no phone, the TV isn't on in the background, okay, and sit or kneel with the Father. Uh, I recommend literally setting a five-minute timer, okay, and then just praying until it goes off. I feel like Dory praying all the time. I don't know about y'all. I mean, you know, so Dory, she's a character in a movie. Are y'all? All right. You ever sit and pray, and you're like 18 seconds in, and you realize that you didn't get that other ingredient for dinner tonight, and then you're like, oh, wait, I'm praying. Okay, hang on. Uh, and you think it's been like 15, and then you start praying again. It's got to it's be 15, 20 minutes, and you look, and it's been like three and a half minutes. You're like, oh, my gosh. That, okay, so I don't know if you ever prayed. Like you prayed for everything you can think of. You prayed for your family, 
missionaries around the world, world peace, and it's been like four minutes. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to? So for me, setting a timer helps me kind of push through those kind of barriers and, and kind of, you know, exercise the discipline a little bit more. And I don't do that every day, but when I kind of get out of the habit or when I need to push through some kind of barrier with the discipline, I, I literally set a timer and I pray until it goes off. My wife, who I'm devoted to, in love with, she has what's known as attention deficit disorder. Anybody else live with one of these people? Amen. It's wonderful. And so, like, she'll go upstairs. She'll go, hey, I'm going to go change Taylor sheets upstairs. And I'll go up there, like, 30 minutes later, and she's, like, renovated Judah's closet. I'm like, I don't, what? Okay. So it's just, it's wonderful. So, you know, I sat, you know, a lot of us were like, I mean, I sat down to pray. I really meant to. And now I've responded to seven emails, and I made the grocery list. How did this happen, right? So, uh, yeah, I mentioned your name. That's right, buddy. All right, so uh, several tips for devoting your attention to prayer in the morning. I got a list for you. So create time alone with no distractions. And I say that specifically, create time alone. This doesn't just happen, okay? Somehow Netflix times just appears in my calendar. I, I don't know how. That e- I easily gravitate toward comfort and relax. So create time alone with no distractions, okay? Make a plan. I just told you set a timer. Uh, limit your wandering mentally until that timer goes off. Uh, one thing I'll do if, is I'll list and pray and, you know, kind of keep me uh, engaged. And so I'll, I'll list names and I'll list needs in the church. I'll list my kids. I'll list what's going on with my buddies who are also in ministry. And I'll just make a list and that helps me stay kind of focused, right? That helps me. Uh, uh, you can write out your prayer. One thing I used to say, you know, my, my mind works too fast for me to write out my prayers. No, I need to slow down, right? And so... Write out your prayer, okay? Maybe that works for you and that helps you. Again, uh, this list could be 50 things long, so you know, make it up in your own life, whatever it looks like to, to help you in the discipline. Uh, get a prayer partner for accountability. Maybe you can find this person in your small group or in this room, but it's a really good practice, okay? And then, you, know, you text the other one, hey, I just, I just did my morning prayer. You know what they think? Oh, dadgummit. Okay, yeah, all right, Lord. You know, so accountability is a really helpful thing. It's a good thing all throughout the New Testament. Get a prayer partner for accountability. And if you miss a day, start again the next day. God's grace is waiting for you. It's okay. It's all right. If, you know, keep going, keep starting over and over. You'll, you'll see as you do this consistently, as you put this keystone habit five minutes into your morning, you'll see that those five minutes turn into eight. And then all of a sudden, it's like you've been praying 10 minutes and you didn't even realize it. Instead of feeling like Dory, like you used to, now it's like, oh, man, that went by so fast. And then you'll look up to realize that you kind of pray all day, you know, that your reaction to so many situations is praying. Uh, One of the things I do, Courtney laughs when I do this, but it's like, you know, we don't fight. You know, I'm a pastor. She's a pastor's wife. We don't fight or anything, you know. Uh, But sometimes before... Before we have a heated discussion, which now 11 years in, we kind of know when we're headed toward one of these discussions, all right? I literally, and say a quick prayer, and she laughs, because we're like in the heat of it, and it helps the whole thing, all right? And so men, I highly recommend that. Young men, by the way, notice when older men laugh and, and, and women smirk. You can learn a lot from that as you get ready for marriage, okay? All right, so I just find myself just kind of, Praying more often out of this keystone habit, you know, I found myself like if I'm caught in a line for coffee or something, that I'll sneak a few minutes of prayer in instead of scrolling through a feed or when I'm driving instead of listening to sports radio 1310 The Ticket, which I love. 
I'll pray for my family or whatever. So this habit, I give you those examples just to show, this habit opens the door to so many others. It, it really opens the door to your relationship with God. God doesn't just want to point his finger at you and, and highlight the, the wrong uh, answers on the test. That's not his heart for you. His heart for you is come sit at my table, fix a cup of coffee, let's have a chat every single day, all day. So, you know, when Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, will you teach us to pray? You know, they had kind of been creeping on him and watching him pray. That's how, that's how that question came about. They're, they saw him pray and they kind of look over there and they go, whoa, I want, Lord, help us do that. Do we think that they walked upon Jesus, that, that they wanted to learn to pray like him because they saw him using big, complex theological terms? They looked at Jesus and they were like, oh, man, he's praying in the Greek. Oof, okay, I got to be like that. That's cool. No, I don't think so. Where they like, uh, they saw his facial intensity and he's doing this in prayer and they really want to, no, they saw his pat. No, I don't think so. I think they saw Jesus praying and they saw the depth of fellowship that he had with the Father and they're like, whoa, I, I want that, Jesus. And he wants that for you. He wants that for your mornings and to extend throughout your days. Committing yourself to time with the Lord opens that door. Y'all, prayer is an expression of freedom. It's not some dutiful, oh my gosh, I have to do that again. Oh, I gotta get to work, what am I? That's not what prayer is. It's, accept, it's us accepting God's invita invitation to have a chat at his table. 